This is where you start the podcast. I didn't know if you were still reading the notes. So I'm, I'm, do you think I read the notes? Sometimes you do. You claim to. You know I D I D in Hello and welcome to episode 310 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from separate locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champions. And I'm coming to you from Red Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> well, the live show, Pelton Cast Live 2022, our return two live shows is in the books honestly it was such a sick live show so (laughs) sick of a live show oh no oh no that three days later i ended up with COVID. oh dear well yeah uh fortunately i i tested negative earlier so i I think for for all the listener who are out there who attended the live show thank you so much for coming I'm so sorry. Uh, no, I, th- I think there is a very good chance that I ended up with COVID at the wedding that I went to the very next day after had, flying back from Los Angeles. Yeah, you had a variety of places that you could have contracted it, not just the live show. And you didn't have symptoms until yesterday, right? No, to, definitely not. No, until I, I would not have been. Well, just in terms of the symptoms that started like Saturday, you might no, have not knowingly not. done it. But the, the, the point is you probably weren't symptomatic. I was around you the most and I tested negative. So it yes. seems unlikely, but uh, definitely everyone uh, who did come out. And again, thanks so much for doing it. Uh, be sure to monitor your symptoms the next few days as, as we all are <laughs> at this point. So anyway, I've said many times, maybe only one time that this was my flu game, but literally no, as I was taking the test. At least two. At two least times? Two. two times? There was the, there was the, pod in salem where you were just tired tired that was a flu game and there was at least <laughs> yes. one time you had like a cold or something About and it was your flu game as the the like eye health test was going across and it was just like confident covid <laughs> in my head i was like this pelton cast is gonna be my flu game well that's what i think of you're thinking the important things certainly yes not your 10 to 15 children <laughs> who, are, who are vaccinated thankfully uh that note aside, what an awesome time we had on Friday night seeing everybody who came out. Honestly, I think it was the, the best Pelton cast live yet. And, and just a note for you, I don't know, uh, uh, make sure to record the podcast that we're doing right now. <laughs> okay, well. It's one of the most essential elements of doing a podcast, just recording it. But it's not the, one of the most essential parts of doing a live podcast. It really wasn't something I spent that much time thinking about. And that turned out to be my undoing. Because a couple hours before the show, we first hooked up the uh, recorder. I was like, well, I'm just going to hit record so I don't forget to do it before we actually start the show. And I did think of it later and stopped and created a new track. But what I didn't think about is, hey, Kevin, you're going to run out of room on the recorder because of the fact that you recorded an hour and a half of the music playing in the room wow. and the ambient noise. That's really and funny. so then after the show, I went over there and it was already stopped before I went to go stop it. And I was like, that's trouble. That's a bad sign. Uh, and Saturday morning, checked it out. And there it was an hour of like an hour and 41, even though the live show went for a full three hours this time, <laughs> including various intermissions. Uh, so the live podcast was three hours. 
I think it pretty much. I mean, it wow. was it, we wrapped around eleven. Uh, we started a little after eight. So sadly, most of Mike Sean Dugar's brilliance Ugh. lost. You had to be there to hear it, to hear his stories about That's running a note. If there's down. ever a future podcast live, and if Mike Sean will ever agree to participate in another podcast live. <laughs> he still seems to enjoy it. Uh, and, and we also didn't get, so if you were not there, you do not know the winner of Seattle's Best Fried Chicken. Wow. And we will reveal to you right now on this, this podcast that it was Quick Pack Food Mart. Huge. So the voting went, first DJ and Fred uh, took off his jacket to reveal a chef outfit. <laughs> I forgot about that. This is this Amazing. is what you missed by not having the recording. Uh, I mean, the, you could the, the visual would have been lost. Pelncast Live is really about taking off shirts to reveal other shirts, though. This has now happened in two consecutive Pelncast Lives. People could not get Mike Sean to take off his shirt to show off his tattoos, though. Uh, did we try? Oh yeah, you don't remember right. the crowd tried. I mean, he runs the 40 shirtless. Why not Peltoncast Live shirtless? Shirtlessness was a big theme of the podcast somehow. Uh, but so it started with DJ and Fred uh, took, took off his jacket to reveal a chef's outfit, went through the process of him going to these two locations, how he uh, fought traffic because of Joe Biden being in town, which Correct. I, I don't I don't keep the president's schedule that closely. We were going through all the dates that we could do Peltoncast Live. At no point, we looked at the Kraken schedule. We looked at the Mariners <laughs> schedule. At no point did we look at Joe Biden's schedule. I, I didn't hear about Biden's visit until well after we had scheduled Peltoncast Live, I, I will say for sure. And and I was originally planning to go to uh, Cookies and Quickback on Thursday like Infrared did, but then I had to move it up to Wednesday because I uh, some scheduling issues. So I could have been stuck in that same traffic wow. and eating the chicken side by side, much like he was. I, I also ate Wow, that pack. sounds terrible. I also ate Quick Pack in the car. It is true. I mean, that's where you eat Quick Pack. Like, I don't, that's kind of the point. You yeah. know, you go up to the food mart, you get it, you go right back to your car. It's hot as hell. You burn your mouth and it's amazing. And <laughs> I, this time the cookies was noticeably hotter. I would say. Really? They're me. both, they are both extraordinarily hot fried chickens. Correct. I will say. The, the juiciness and the hotness of the fried chickens. I haven't had either of them after like a long period of time. I assume that they would hold up. So uh, I went first. I, I went with third Pelton brother Reese who came into town specifically for Pelton cast live. If you didn't fly in, I don't really know what you're doing, but okay. We uh, might have multiple, multiple people, multiple people fly in multiple, the listener fly in possibly multiple guests uh fly in if we do this in the fall if i can convince you to commit to that <laughs> we'll see we'll see the getting COVID after really doesn't help your cause uh <laughs> but but uh third belt and brother reese flew in so he's having both the fried chickens with me and i got to view the fried chickens through the prism of him having them for the first time so we go and get the quick pack i call up quick pack and i'm like can we get two chicken thighs and he's just like is that it that's really all you're ordering? And she's like, yes, that is it. Look, I get it. Normally I would want more fried chicken, but there's a lot more fried chicken in my future. I had to do both a thigh and a leg for science. First, that's, that's important. God, was the leg good? Uh, not, not this particular time. Oh, wow. Okay. The yeah. thigh was incredible though. I mean, the, the thigh that we had just so juicy and Reese bites into it. And he's just like, holy shit, that's good fried chicken. And I'm like, yeah, dude. We're here. We're in the finals. But I think the difference between good fried chicken and even mediocre fried chicken, there's a huge difference between those two things. And I think that's really what we've learned. Even later. So we, we do that. I'm like, 
I'm like, damn, this chicken thigh is pretty fucking good that we just had. We go to the cookies. We get the hot chicken, three stars, uh, hot chicken. Again. Fred went the full four stars. You did? Infrared did. Oh, Infrared went the full four stars. Wow. Uh, it was pretty hot. I actually would have preferred maybe a little bit milder because I think I might have lost some of the, the artfulness of the fried chicken and just gotten the heat. But I wanted to try it in the way that we tried it for the first time ever. Maybe two or one would have been better, but I, I just don't. There was nothing changing it. I thought you it know? was out. I forgot to read the board. I thought it was out of a five star scale, like at a, a, a Chinese restaurant. Yes. Uh, so therefore, I was saying three was going to be the middle as opposed to being yes. the second highest. So I, I probably would have gone two. And uh, again, for, for Reese, so we that one I did do the leg and a thigh. And he has the leg and he's like, it's pretty good. And I'm like, wait till you've had the thigh. And he's like, after eating that, he's like, how is the thigh so good? And I'm like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand how the chicken breast became the champion of fried chicken and the leg. Every other piece basically has its own. Like, there's almost no straight up chicken thigh chicken place. There's wings places. There's drumsticks places. There's chicken breast places. How is the thigh, which is indisputably the best piece of fried chicken, not the most celebrated piece of fried chicken. Are you saying this is a business opportunity for us? It really could Th- be. Thighsonly.com? Thighsonly. It's just the, the marketing. Somebody needs to really brand it. They need to I, I, it think, I think thigh stop. When wing stop did thigh stop, that was their attempt to oh, do it. They? Was it not? Yeah. It, because there was a wing shortage. Sound good. That really might be the, the issue. <laughs> Thank God for the wing shortage. Uh, so we had those two. And I think for me, ultimately... Uh, next, I picked. You picked. Quick I guess pack. I went. I was first. Yeah, so for, first, I I picked the Quick Pack Food Mart. Look, I have COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I picked the Quick Pack Food Mart, and I think the the they both are phenomenal fried chickens. Again, we're down to the last two, but the difference was how the flavor is just part of the chicken. The crust is part of it, and when you're at the cookies, it's like the, there's the crust and the skin, and it and it it falls off a little bit. It's almost like they're kind of separate entities at the quick pack. Like I think you could eat it not hot and it would still be an extraordinarily good piece of chicken. The cookies is like juiced in the perfect possible way, but this is, there's almost like a subtlety to quick pack. I would agree with that. And then I think you went next. Yeah. And, and I just, the quick pack experience that I had on Wednesday was not up to my previous quick pack experiences. And that's what caused me to lean towards cookies. I mean, again, both of them being very good, just from the standpoint of, you know, we're essentially recommending these places to people. And I want to make sure that their experience is great every single time. And I think you've got a little bit higher chance of that experience at cookies than you do at quick pack. But I still think you got to give a quick pack a try if you haven't had it. And a lot of people, you know, could live here their entire lives and not know about quick pack. Uh, it's, it's definitely not as, you know, trendy on Instagram as cookies is going to be. So, you know, I think that's, that's an important thing over this search and of discovering it, but you started then pacing out of fear that you were going to lose another one of these. I, I've lost a lot of them. Sometimes I've lost because of me. Uh, <laughs> then you started pacing. Uh, you so were standing. I, I was standing. You know, it's the end of the night. We're we're getting it moving. We're having a good time. Uh, and DJ and Fred, he he made the right call. He well, for all the reasons. Well, we got to explain. And since it, again, it was lost with the recording. Yes. What infrared's explanation was is that it was like Rocky Four, 
Wow. <laughs> the Dolph Lundgren WSU grad is like cookies engineered to be the best possible fried chicken. Where is quick pack is like Rocky training in the middle of nowhere uh, with just Tony and Polly uh, to support him as opposed to this team of scientists. And yet somehow the underdog Rocky ends up prevailing in the end. If you can change and the, we, and I can change, then we can change. Which the important thing we discovered is very few of the listener have seen Rocky four. I'm not surprised. I haven't seen Rocky four. I, I mean, I hadn't seen, I had not actually watched any of the Rocky movies for a long period of time, but that was one of my pandemic things is uh, watching a lot of movies and the Rocky series in particular. Uh, I, I think that is from the description, a very apt comparison though. And, and I think that's kind of the way that, and like, I, I don't want to dismiss cookies because of the marketing, like there's a lot of places that market their chicken that just don't have as good chicken as cookies has. 100%. Like, it's if it was that easy, everybody would do it. And, you know, I think there's, there's locations that we've been to along the way that I think promote their chicken just as well. They want to be Seattle's best fried chicken. They announce themselves as Seattle's best fried chicken. I mean, and first off, everyone wants to be Seattle's best fried chicken. I mean, maybe not the cheap chicken Monday at the Safeway. Near you, but... <laughs> Weirdly is. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I think that was, that's really the best comparison. And look, the reality is like we went to one of Reese's friend's house that lives two blocks from the quick pack food mart. And he'd never been there at all. Yeah. Like most people will not have been to quick pack. I hadn't heard of it before we started the search. And most of them I mean, have been to Azels. You could literally were- drive by it. I mean, I'm sure I have driven by it at times, you know, going along uh, Rainier there. And you just like, oh, it's just a convenience store. Like, yeah. like any other ones. I may go to Cookies more long term, but that doesn't mean it's best. You know, I will still go to Azels and Heaven Set and still love Azels and Heaven Set. Right. But ultimately, I- when we were comparing it down to the chicken, when it comes down to chicken to chicken, I, Quick Pack was the winner. The reason I couldn't go on Thursday is I was scheduled for a second time to meet my friend for lunch at the West Seattle Azels and try that out. And for a second time, that friend was unable to go. So I still oh, have no. not had the West Seattle Azels. Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you're going to have more Wendy's burgers in your entire life than you are the best burger. Like I'll have more Wendy's burgers than I am the Tavern Burger. Right. But that doesn't mean that the tavern burger isn't the best. It's just not, not all me. burgers are great in the same way that all fried chicken is great. And there can only be one champion of Seattle's best fried chicken. And for this particular search, it was our longest search yet, I believe. <laughs> it, it, it had, like it better be our longest search ever. My we passion for this- chicken got reignited on Friday. We started this in February 2021. Wow. It was over 14 months that we searched for Seattle's best fried chicken. And not just because we kept trying to go to cookies when they were in Pioneer Square. They didn't have any. It is a lot easier to go to cookies now. Uh, I mean, it's not easier necessarily because it's a lot farther from us, but it's it's easier to get the chicken. It's more likely to be open when you arrive there. It feels like we got mixed reviews when we announced that uh, our next search would be for Seattle's best barbecue. Which is something that I've been pushing for a long period of time. I don't know what people want us to search for. Infrared did suggest Seattle's best Thai food, which is kind of broad. Also, uh, Third Pulton Brothers Zach Jabal has suggested at some point doing a search for Seattle's best IPA. 
but I feel like we can maybe incorporate that alongside it. That that could just be the beer we drink each week. What if I don't like IPAs? That well, I mean, it could be a, a different type of beer as well. I'm all about. Well, okay. So the other again, do, do we have anything else about the chicken search? I think that's it. I think most importantly to everybody who came out, a cheers to. Let's do the beer of the week, and we'll cheers. We haven't I, done this yet. I decided to save the beer of the week. Are we? Can we do it now? Or are we waiting? No, we're good. I'm saving. Like I'm saving it for when we record in person again. Oh, okay. All right. Well, this, if you have drink- Zach Jabal brought us a special beer on on Friday, and uh, so I, I definitely want you to try that as well. Uh, well, cheers to everybody who came out to Pelton Cast Live. It was an incredible experience packed room there at good times bad bar which was awesome that the energy of the crowd it's just like we want to have and i've talked about this on the podcast but like a different energy than basically any other podcast there is where like people could be in the audience and like monologues of their perspective <laughs> about what we're talking about the you know, <laughs> aforementioned Zach Jabal. there are people from ben who you might have heard on the uh on the recording of the live podcast just coming up from the crowd out of nowhere right we had two people that we just went to the crowd and brought them on stage and they ended up being stars of the show so that's really what we wanted it's it's like going back to 70s punk style in the nerdiest possible way <laughs> uh it was a lot podcasting. of podcasting, a lot of little big league trivia in seventies. There, there is no difference between the people on the stage and the people in the crowd, right? Everybody there has a perspective. Yeah. Everybody has has a, a valid point. That's what I really think. Felton Cast Live is all about. Thank you so much to Pagliacci and Taco Time. No one could have imagined that they were the ones who were going to be providing food for Peltcast Live. Truly really shocking outcome. We we need to order more Pagliacci next time. Was my takeaway because really we, more Pagliacci. I we think that's that pretty quickly. Yeah, no, the taco time went well. Uh, there was one pinto bean left over that uh, I I ate after the show, which which hit the spot at that point. Uh, yeah, and you know, you mentioned the room being crowded. Uh, so when I first got there to set up around five thirty. Uh, pretty early because I, I had been in Queen Anne at a tour of Climate Pledgerita uh, via the Storm PR staff. And it was kind of, it was like really cold in that room. And I was like, oh, how's this going to go? And then by the time we got everyone in there, like I was sweating. People were fanning themselves. It was that hot in the room. It definitely felt very different with people in the building. Uh, and to, to all the faces in the crowd that I think we met for the first time ever or seen for the first time in a very, very long time, like Zach, like you mentioned at the patent, people like that, Chris Wheeler coming out. I know there's tons more that I'm forgetting here, uh, but uh, Nate and Alicia, uh, the famous cousin Katie, Ben, Mrs. Fantasy Genius, Chris Carasino, Chris Smith, people like that to all of the guests, Grinch in the house, yeah, uh, Grinch, DJ, Infrared, Jake One, uh, the two Taco Time guests. Jake one wearing his Ben coffee Jersey and sitting in the back of the room and hollering about taco time. Just a great time. The two talking taco time guests. Uh, that was Sean and Ben. Uh, Mike, Sean, obviously as always the star of the show. I, I mean, Sean and Ben and also Mike, Sean, uh, Mike, Sean, just coming up and telling stories, really just a, a phenomenal experience all around for everybody coming out. Definitely could not appreciate you more doing this, understanding the, you know, the dangers in reality of going out to a live event uh, and for supporting us and doing that. You raised uh, over $400 for Doug Baldwin's Family First Center correct? uh, in Cascade, Washington. We also to Good Times Bad Bar for hosting us. 
sold out of Rainier Tall Boys in a second, right? Like it was more than a second, but it was by the intermission. Is straight up like I didn't say I want a lot of eggs. I want all of the Rainier Tall Boys, and I tried to warn them. I tried to warn them. I said going in, I was like, "Y'all have Rainier Tall Boys." And they said we specialize in Rainier Tall Boys, and the Pelton Cast Live crowd said, "Challenge accepted." They still had it on draft, but it's not quite the same as not in the Tall same. Boy form. <sighs> so, I honestly just a memorable night. And, you know, really, we, we thank everybody for coming out and supporting us through it. Hope everybody had a really good time and hopefully we'll be able to maybe do it again this year and have that same kind of energy again. If you're, if you're interested in it, we will do it again. Dude. Yeah. Okay. So, so tweet us at Peltoncast, email us at Peltoncast at gmail.com and let us know if you plan to come out again, if we do it in our traditional fall uh, window before the start of the Seahawks season. If you say I'm good. We're good. <laughs> this is an encore type situation, right? I've already heard from people looking forward to it. So wow. I I think I, I'm optimistic the about the chance. You to scream till your lungs is raw. <laughs> uh, should we get into our usual weekly podcast? All right. We'll start with the toasts. First off, we mentioned this during the show to Lauren Jackson, who made her return to the court for the first time since 2016 last weekend with back-to-back games for the Elbury Wodonga Bandits of the NBL One East, finishing with 21 points in 22 minutes Saturday, and then 36 points in 15 rebounds in 19 minutes Sunday. Uh, Subert was among a number of Storm players asked about this Sunday at Storm Media Day, and was like, marveled at the fact that Lauren played the back-to-back. She's like, I I might not play a back-to-back this season. So it was truly great to see, uh, particularly on the threes, the jumper, it looked like the Lauren Jackson that was, you know, the best player in the WNBA, a three-time MVP. Uh, so, uh, what are the chances of Lauren Jackson returning to the WMA? Is this is there a possibility? I think it's very low the chances that she returned to the WNBA. I think she probably wants to stay in Australia with her two children. Uh, I think what people are really kind of hoping for is a possible culmination of this comeback is whether she could participate with the Australian Opals national team. They're hosting the World Cup this fall after the WNBA season. So that would seem like a really awesome culmination to LJ's career if she's able to do it. All right. All right. Next up to Gabby Plain, who was named Pac-12 Pitcher of the Week. Hello. Uh, I've got this down as a third time this season, but then I, re- I realized as I'm reading it that I forgot to double check that. That's off the top of my head. It could be fourth after recording both her 100th career win and her 1,000th career strikeout. Like she hasn't pitched that well, so I guess I'm impressed. Last weekend against Oregon. Well, she started the season very strong and rounding back into form at the right time, much like the UW softball team as a whole. We'll talk about them later. And then lastly in our toast, to Giorgio Chiellini. Wow who announced that Italy's friendly at Wembley Stadium in June will be his final match representing his country. A long and storied career for Chiellini, who will pass Andrea Pirlo for fifth in all-time caps for the Italian national team, and said he wanted to finish it up where his greatest triumph occurred. Not the 2006 World Cup, but last year's Euro victory at Wembley. You know, I think Chiellini was probably a bigger part of that one than the 2006 World Cup, so maybe that makes a little bit more sense. Right. That's an understandable rationale. Uh, but definitely kind of the last of a generation of great Italian players. You know, there's, you mentioned Pirlo and Buffon, obviously with Chiellini. Uh, 
Buffon, obviously one of the more capped players, along with Cannavaro. That's uh, what I was gonna say. There was it was kind of the initial crew was the Cannavaro Toti crowd. Uh, that was kind of like the 2006 leaders, Luca Toni, obviously. Um, but this second generation that that carried Italy to this Euro uh, to being the best team in all of Europe, and definitively uh, by winning the Euro, the best team in all of Europe currently uh, for the next <clears throat> four years. So <laughs> that Chiellini goes out with that that kind of status, I think, is really impressive and possibly the greatest defender in Italian history. Certainly, a lot of competition for that. It's something <laughs> it's special. What we do. Maldini uh, would be another candidate there, in addition to Cannavaro. Yeah. Into our uh, top chef update, Luke was the last pick. Oh my god. His two chefs drafted teams for Restaurant Wars last week, the traditional mid-season Restaurant Wars competition, and ended up with no-name uh, Southeast Asian-themed restaurant, despite lacking familiarity with the cuisine. Oh, yeah. He made blackened cod with chuchi curry and coconut rice. Judges said the cod was perfectly cooked, but the curry, quote, according to one of them, spent a lot of time in Copenhagen, which is oh, not god. a compliment for curry. No-name lost, and Luke thought he was going out of the competition. But instead... It was Jackson who had been like maybe the best chef thus far this season uh, and had advised Luke that his dish was too salty, despite having lost his sense of taste after contracting COVID prior oh to the series. So he'd been like successfully cooking along despite this, having other people taste his food, gave the bad advice. Uh, Luke was definitely like pissed about this afterwards but it turned out to be jackson who uh fell on the sword and uh ended up losing uh because he did really terribly in his role as front of house greeting the uh not greeting the judges and explaining to them the food that they were eating and also his uh dessert dish was not very strong so luke still threw to the final seven of this competition uh despite some shaky performances suffice it to say can somebody just put this dude out of his misery you know maybe he's gonna eventually find his 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 uh sweet spot if for some reason in the houston season they start having a lot of scandinavian focused competitions so with that i think it's time for your favorite segment don't burn yourself we got mariners hot takes coming at you okay so the mariners are so good that honestly no takes just right wow but i did decide to write an ebert style review of the dairy queen four-piece chicken strip basket with texas toast was this this, you get the gravy i didn't see the gravy in the photo well after all the hullabaloo surrounding it at pelton pass (laughs) live i felt compelled to try the dairy queen four-piece chicken strip basket with texas toast And let me tell you, after consuming this crude and uninspiring (laughs) meal, I've begun to start questioning the taste of the podcast listening audience. Upon opening the box, you'll see a haphazardly assembled assortment of, quote, chicken strips, fries, and quote, quote again, Texas toast. (laughs) The arrangement of the basket thankfully lets you know that there is no artfulness to the food you will soon be consuming. It is merely carbs and proteins purely for sustenance. The four-piece chicken strip basket with Texas toast reduces food down to its most basic and elemental roots. First, the chicken strips, which come in such questionable shapes you would never ask which part of the chicken you're actually eating, announce to you from 10,000 miles away that they will be dry and chalky, 
much like a Michael Bay movie or James Harden during the build up to a drive, you know before it starts that you're not going to like the end. The breading is pure flour, a relic of the fast food days of yore before even McDonald's could make a good tasting chicken sandwich. Surely a recipe which has not been revised since Lyndon Johnson was president. He's probably who the Texas toast is named after. The fries are so forgetful that I don't even remember if I dislike them or not. But rather like the memory of the past 20 Marisona seasons, you can't really parse them out, but you know you were upset consuming them. Named fittingly after the state with the most offensive politics in the country, the Texas toast is about as appetizing as a Lincoln-Riley brisket before the Red River shootout. The toast is predictably bland, a mild buttered dry piece of white bread that the only surprising thing about was that they didn't decide to name one of the pieces Texas and the other piece Florida toast. I'm sure Mr. DeSantis would approve. All in all, I only wish that I could hot tub time machine myself back and get COVID one day sooner <laughs> so my taste buds would have been numb to the experience. <laughs> the only caveat I will relay is that they were out of gravy when I purchased the basket, but I think Mrs. Fantasy Genius summed it up perfectly with her parting words, quote, and also, just in case you didn't know, the gravy is cold. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you ate Dairy Queen food. I can't believe that people loved it at the live show. It's really, truly stunning. I, I, I don't know the last time I consumed anything but a Frosty at Dairy Queen, but it has been an extraordinarily long period of time. I got to say, though, wow. I feel like you might have missed your calling. Like, should you actually do this for a living? That was incredible. <laughs> I told you I dipped into my English degree for this one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I, I don't know what you should be reviewing, but maybe that's how you should do Chicken all of your baskets. food reviews going forward. <laughs> Although it's more fun if you hate it. So I don't know that that's going to be the case. Uh, the Mariners are good now? The Mariners oh, yeah. Best team in the AL. Since we last recorded, they've won six of seven games. They took two of three from Texas, swept Kansas City with a walk-off win Sunday, then won their opener Tuesday at Tampa Bay. Their 11-6 and six record tied for best in the AOL. The AOL. The AOL. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's tied for best in the Haven't AOL. Haven't been good since the days of AOL. <laughs> that's, so. that's a great point. Uh, just like dial-up, sometimes the offense takes a long time to load for the Mariners. They're tied for best in the AL with the Toronto Blue Jays and their plus 22 run differential tops in the league by eight runs. I no I more fun differential say, talk. You know, what's more fun than fun differential <laughs> run differential run differential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lifelong run differential, man. Uh, Scott service returned to the dugout Tuesday after missing the previous five games after testing positive for COVID as part of a minor Mariners outbreak. Uh, players Mitch Hanniger and Paul Sewald also rejoined the team. I mean, in they're Tampa. still they're still doing this without Hanniger. Most of that run was without their best hitter from last year. So, correct. I mean, their best hitter and their second best hitter over this stretch somehow both tie France. Is that possible? <laughs> they weren't without tie France. That what do you mean? No, no. I'm saying that he in this stretch has been both their best hitter and their second. Best oh yes, hitter yes. Because Hello. he's producing like two hitters at this point. Especially two Mariners hitters. Right. I mean, his his ops is literally double most of the regulars on the roster at this point. So uh, that's been pretty exciting. Uh, J.P. Crawford continues to be quite outstanding. 
And Julio Rodriguez, ever so slowly, he's creep, crap, the betting average has crept up to 200. He's stealing a base every time he gets on to a single with basically a double. It's very exciting. It's just watching Julio Rodriguez is fun to watch. And I mean, I, I tweeted this on Saturday. He made, the, fun. he made the walk he took on Saturday night look cool. Like it's not supposed to look cool taking a walk. And it was for him in part because of the fact that he was celebrating the rare fact that he was not called out on a pitch <laughs> that was outside the zone. What would have been strike three. He took a strike looking today to strike out. And I was definitely like, I got out the magnifying glass to be like, <laughs> this is a strike. I was like, I don't know. Uh, many of them you have not needed the magnifying glass to know that they were not strikes. I, so it's, it is, is pretty incredible, though, to to have the Mariners be appointment viewing. You know, I think that I sincerely mean this, that the way that they left off last season really felt like the way that the Seahawks left off the 2012 season, that even during the entire lockout, like the whole whole time, Mariners excitement was at an all time high. Maybe not all time, but like Mariners excitement was at the highest it's been for a decade. And we, it just felt like the off season didn't even happen. Like time passed, you know, sometimes like you just ramp down your fandom so much that you come back. Like this happened with a lot of Seahawks off seasons where you're like, I'll see, I'll see you in August. You know what I mean? Just like go out there, draft your off ball linebacker. I'll see you in August. Like I can't care that much, but this Mariners season, they kept the excitement up. They went out, they made the right moves in free agency. I mean, they signed the fucking Cy Young winner. Like they didn't, they didn't punt free agency. And then to start the season with... And, and yep, by the way, the Cy Young winner, not the best pitcher in the rotation. Yes. That's Logan Gilbert. To start the season with Julio on the roster, to have these young players and Brash and Gilbert and Julio and Kellenic, like, honestly, the, this is as fun as I think a baseball team can be. I agree. I, and, and we should probably... And they're doing it, and it's real. Like, that is, that's really the... This isn't smoke and mirrors. This isn't like, okay, it's been one month. Like, I think you would confidently say, like, this team is probably fairly likely to make the... What are the fan graphs odds by right now? Oh, they're still terrible. 44.5%. Wow. Find a bigger <laughs> hater than fan graphs. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty surprising How is surprising that possible? The run differential is really good. It is, but it's also been, like, three weeks. Damn. All right. All right. Sometimes there's glitches in the computer. I get it. I Yeah, hopefully there are. Whew. Uh, Kraken nearing the end of the regular season, first regular season in franchise history. Just three games left after Tuesday night's 5 2 loss at Vancouver. Uh, the Kraken will definitively enter the lottery behind Arizona in Montreal at this point. They are currently three points back of Philadelphia, who has two games left. They have three because of the extra makeup game to be played Sunday at Winnipeg which will surely just be an extremely thrilling game. Uh, it seems like we have kind of, with Joey Decord starting against the Canucks tonight, entered tanking mode, even though most of the, uh, the regulars were still on the ice. Uh, the regular skaters were still out there. So uh, Matty Beneers not, has not continued his goal every game streak, but still, still quite productive at this point. Really love tanking mode of the NHL and NBA seasons. <laughs> I mean, in the NHL season, it's like three games. That's all that's left. So yeah. it's definitely much less. Winnipeg also, by They'll the way, learn. Been, They'll learn. <laughs> you, would think, you would think Winnipeg also has been eliminated from the playoffs. Although the hockey lottery is like way more aggressive 
than the NBA lottery. We'll have to discuss it. We'll learn more about, about that like, and discuss it next week. The percentages if you're bad. Correct. Uh, Sounders coming off a brutal loss Saturday to a lowly San Jose Earthquake side playing its first game under interim manager Alex Cavello after starting the season winless in seven games. The Sounders started their first choice 11 aside from Yamir Gomez Andrade, who was back in the uh, match day 18 as he works back from injury, led 2 nothing and later 3-1, a pair of two-goal leads in this game what? behind goals from Nico Ladero on a penalty, Christian Roldan, and Jordan Morris, but surrendered two quick goal- goals in quick succession uh, and I believe the 62nd and 63rd minutes to tie the game. And then saw San Jose awarded a penalty via VAR and a new who foul in stoppage time, and they converted the penalty to beat the Sounders 4-3. Really kind of one of the more disappointing losses, I would say, in franchise history. Look, I, I just think they're pretty distracted. I, I hope bigger so. fish to fry here. There, there certainly are. Uh, it was a lot easier to justify losing at home to Inter-Miami when you didn't start almost any of your regulars than this one where, despite having a match in four days, they did start everyone and play you know, a completely normal game and still lost which is pretty troubling. But uh, the all eyes now on the CONCACAF Champions League final matchup against Pumas starting Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. in Mexico City. This is tonight as you're listening to this? Correct. Wow, that sounds like a great thing for me to watch in COVID lockdown. There you go. Pumas currently 12th in the Liga MX Closera standings after finishing 11th in the Apertura. Uh, they were really strong two years ago in the Apertura, which is how they made it to CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, their path to the finals featured a 6-3 aggregate win over Saprissa of Honduras, a shootout win over New England Revolution after a 3-3 aggregate draw in that series, and then a 2-1 aggregate win over Cruz Azul in the semifinals. 538 Soccer Power Index rates them slightly better than the Sounders, uh, although it does not take into account either team's Champions League results. And some, some other important news going into this one. It's unclear whether uh, uh, Puma's striker Juan Ignacio Deneno or midfielder Lina Lopez will play. They missed their Liga MX game at the weekend due to injury. Deneno is in particular you know, a big-time scorer for this club, so they'd really miss him. Also an important note as we go into this final, no away goal tiebreaker for the final, so not as much pressure for the Sounders to play for a goal in this opening match on the road. Kind of makes home field a bigger advantage in the second leg. So, all right. I, I don't know. I, I think it's exciting that the Sounders are going to this with a legitimate chance. I, it, it reads to me like I think they might be slight favorites. I think they are. I mean, they have home, they've played better in CONCACAF Champions League thus far. Uh, they have, again, the advantage of playing the second match at home if there is extra time uh, that, you know, that favors them in that situation. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, Nobody has ever had a better opportunity than this to win the CONCACAF Champions League, and it's up to the Sounders to kind of go out and take advantage of it now. All right. Nobody from the U.S. Yes, obviously other teams. <laughs> Mexican teams have had many better chances than this. Has it only been won by Mexican teams? No. For example, the last time that uh, Mexican teams have won, I'm doing this math off the top of my head here, I believe the last 16 consecutive years. Okay. So it's, it's an extended run here, but the last team to lose to a non-Mexican team, in the last Mexican team to lose to a non-Mexican team in the final was Pumas in 2005 against wow. Saprissa, the team they beat in this year's opening round. You really have to think about that synergy of all those people who are children 
<laughs> we're on the team now <laughs> when that happened. Excellent point. Many Sounders were like still infants at the time. Uh, O.L. Reign advanced the NWSL Challenge Cup semifinals is the top seed by virtue of a 1-1 draw Saturday against the San Diego Wave at San Diego in their final game of West Division group play. Rain got on the board early through Ali Watts' first career goal. Wave evened it up on the brink of halftime with an Alex Morgan penalty. Neither team scored in the second half. Now the bad news. Oh, no. Because the Challenge Cup semifinal is scheduled the same night as the Sounders host leg two of that CONCACAF Champions League matchup with Pumas, the Rain are unable to host the game. Instead, they will face the Washington Spirit at Seger Field in Leesburg, Virginia, home to a USL team in the DMV, uh, effectively seeding home field to the Spirit. Could the they Rain- have played in Tacoma? Apparently the venue was either unavailable, like maybe the, the, the Rainiers were playing at Cheney Stadium. Uh, there was some, they said Starfire was definitely unavailable that night. And the NWSL schedule does not permit you to move it because the Sounders already, the, I'm sorry, the Rain play against the Spirit on Sunday in D.C. at their usual home Audi field. Uh, that will be the regular season opener for both of those teams before Wednesday is the uh, the NWSL Challenge Cup semifinal. And then the Challenge Cup final is then scheduled for that Saturday. So it's going to be a, a number of games in quick succession for whoever wins that semifinal. If they're able to do so, the, the rain would host the final if they win the semifinal. Uh, the Spirit, you'll recall, upset the rain in Tacoma in last year's NWSL semifinals en route to winning their first. I love the casual you'll recall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> NWSL championship. The Washington run was powered by the NWSL's leading goal scorer, Ashley Hatch, who had 11 goals last season, five so far in Challenge Cup play to again lead, and by rookie and uh, I don't know if she ever played a game there, but technically WSU product Trinity Rodman, who led all players with seven assists last year to go along with seven goals, has four goals and two assists in six games in the Challenge Cup. Despite those big numbers from both Hatch and Rodman, the Spirit finished second in the Challenge Cup East Division behind the North Carolina Courage and advanced as the top-ranked second-place team via tiebreaker. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was at Climate Pledge Arena on Friday for a tour, and then Saturday, Seattle Storm played their first game there, first game back at Seattle Center since the 2018 WNBA Finals. First game in Seattle since they played at Hack Ed during 2000, the 2019 season before finishing that season up in Everett and uh, got a win in that first game against the Los Angeles Sparks, 81 uh, 68. Sparks did not play Liz Cambage, who was in street clothes, only played Neka Agumke in the first six minutes while the Storm used a fairly normal rotation from the first three quarters, aside from Sue Bird sitting that one out for maintenance purposes. Uh, Jewel Lloyd dominated the first quarter. She had 15 points on five of six shooting. Brianna Stewart then took over in the second quarter with 12 points on four of four shooting. It was also an impressive storm debut for veteran center Jantel Lavender, who looks poised to make the final roster. She was the first player off the bench on Saturday. If Lavender does make it, that would leave just one spot in all likelihood for holdovers, Kennedy Burke and Kiki Herbert Harrigan or any of the team's rookies. And uh, got to say, not liking Herbert Harrigan's chances after she was in much of the fourth quarter alongside players who are unlikely to make the team. So Storm wraps up preseason play this Thursday at Phoenix before coming home for a week of practice in preparation for the start of the 2022 season. We'll have more of a full preview next week. UW softball got the sweep at number 20 Oregon last weekend. Always love to see it. 
They run ruled the Ducks 9-0 Friday behind five shutout innings from Plain, home runs from Madison Husky, Bailey Klingler, and Sammy Reynolds. Saturday, the Huskies had to come from behind after starting Kel- starter Kelly Lynch was knocked out in the first inning, having already allowed six runs. UW took a 7-6 lead in the second and used five pitchers with Plain going the two- final two and a third innings to get the win, while Silent Rain Espinoza hit the game-winning home Hello. run in the eighth. Uh, Husky homer to second straight game. Brooke Nelson was the third UW player with a long ball in that one. And then Plain started again on Sunday and threw seven shutout innings with eight strikeouts as the Huskies won five nothing. So that's a total of 14 and a third innings over the weekend for Plain. Three wins. I don't believe she allowed a single wow. one. So it's it's very exciting for Gabby Plain to be back. I mean, the Husky softball team in general, there was a minute there where it was looking like this might be a bit of a lost season, but. Yeah. Everything. I think their talent is really what what shined through everything. You know, they hung around in the rankings for a while, maybe longer than they should have, and I think that was because players this good are going to turn around at some point. Exactly. It was right not to overreact to the way they played. Uh, UW moved up four spots to number eleven ahead of this weekend series hosting number twenty one Stanford Huskies are one game ahead of the Cardinal in the Pac twelve standings at nine and six. So a big series. Huskies will also host Utah Valley Monday morning on in a one-off game. Uh, I'm really not sure why these games are being played, but uh, earlier Tuesday they played Seattle U. That is not in my notes, and they won that one six to two. Uh, gonna gonna assume that Gabby Plain did not see action in this one. Kelly Lynch got the start, went four innings of one run ball. Pat Moore three innings in relief to get the save. <clears throat> And home runs from Jaden Olchin, Bailey Klingler, and another one from Silent Rain Espinoza in that game against Seattle U. A little UW men's basketball news is verbal commits reported that forward Emmett Matthews Jr. has entered his name in the transfer portal. Uh I really, like someone's got to explain the math to me here. Because I've seen it, there's been a couple of situations like this, but we went through the whole Jake Hayner thing and it was made clear to us that it was not a certainty that Jake Hayner's application for immediate eligibility was going to be approved because he had previously transferred, even though he transferred before the one-time transfer rule came into play. Emmett Matthews Jr. started transferred last year when it was a one-time transfer rule. So I, I don't understand how he has the ability to transfer. I, clearly, he must know the rules better than I do. But again, I don't. Someone's going to have to explain the math to me. Look, the, the reality is, Players should probably, if you're not going to pay the players, they should be allowed to play where the fuck they want. If of they're course not going to pay sign contracts, I just don't but understand also, how they're enforcing. What it. are you looking for, Emmett Matthews? Like, I, he played a well, ton on he, a team that was pretty good. He, he might be looking to play in the NCAA tournament. But is Emmett Matthews really going to go to a team and be a contributor to a team that's going to be like they're definitely in the NCAA tournament? I mean, he, he was a contributor at West Virginia. They made the NCAA tournament before he transferred here. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think this is Emmett Matthews this season is the perfect combination of team's ability and player ability. Like, I just don't, I don't really feel like I see that they, what is out there from Matthews, but fair enough. I guess we'll see. Indeed, we will. We always do. Uh, UW football wraps up spring practice this Saturday with their spring preview set for 1130 a.m. Feels like not a lot of news coming out of UW spring football at this point. Probably, probably a good thing. I, I think so. Uh, they did have an open practice on Saturday. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. and Dylan Morris both played pretty well at quarterback. Tougher outing for Sam Heward 
at this point seems like he's probably a pretty clear third in the on the depth chart at quarterback, but still all those players getting relatively equal snaps. And we'll probably see that going into the start of fall practice as well. People who may be in the transfer portal. <laughs> uh, we'll see on that one. All right, let's wrap up by talking about the Seahawks. Uh, you know, we got, we got through the quarterbacks, the quarterback section of Mike Sean's uh, draft preview with us on Friday was recorded. So we were able to listen to that. And obviously we've done the, the draft preview with Danny Kelly a few weeks ago, but we're now, as we record this two days away from the NFL draft and wow. probably time to kind of talk through the, the draft board one more time. And, you know, I thought an important way to think about it is sort of, you know, I think there's three groups of players to me. There's players who, if they're available at nine, you rush the pick in as soon as you can. There's some players who like, I, I would be perfectly happy if the Seahawks stayed at nine and just took those players. And then there's, if it's anyone else, you know, if none of those players are available, then you should be looking to trade down. Okay. So for you, who, who are in these tiers? Who, who's in, especially that first tier? So that first, uh, like, like ruling out the obvious, right? Like Trayvon Walker, eight hundreds of players like that. I don't think Trayvon Walker is in that tier for me. I mean, he's going to be gone, so it doesn't matter. He's going right. to be the first pick. It's irrelevant whether he's in that tier for you or not. But Aiden Hutchinson is the only one who's got like no chance of being there. Who's in that tier for me? You think so? You, that he's got no chance of being there. He's the only player who has no chance. I, I honestly, picks one through nine do not know. I think, I think Hutchinson I'll... is probably not going to be there, but would I would I say he has no chance at being at the ninth pick? I mean, I think there's more uncertainty about how the top eight picks are going to go than there is most years because of the lack of, you know, top end quarterbacks uh, and just kind of the general confusion where all of a sudden Walker is considered the favorite to go number one after Hutchinson was through this entire process. And I mean, there was a period where well, it was you... Th- Thibodeau and then it was right. Hutchinson and right. then it was Walker. Like it's been a strange process. I guess what we know is that it seems like it's going to be an edge rusher. seems likely. So Thibodeau, I, I do think has a ch- some chance of being out there at nine and he's in that group for me. And then the other two are the top two left tackles, Ike Aquanu and uh, Neil, Evan Neil, not Derek Stingley or somebody like that. So to me, then the corners, Derek Stingley, Jr. Sauce Gardner are in that second group where if the Seahawks pick them at nine, Thumbs up from me. Uh, you know, they, they've made a good call. I, I don't think that you necessarily want to look to trade down if one of them is on the board. Like maybe somehow if two of them are on the board or if you don't think they're necessarily that much better than Trent McDuffie. Like there are scenarios where you could look to trade down there. But again, I think totally strong value at nine if they're off the board. But every time I play the PFF mock, all five of those players are gone. Okay. And that's why so- I therefore look to trade down. So who's out there when you do the PFF mock? Are we talking Charles Cross is still out there? Somebody like that? I think he's usually gone as well. I mean, I, okay. I, Charles Cross, my own opinions about him are different. Like my opinions about him is an NFL fan are different than my opinions about him as a Seahawks fan. Cause I just don't believe the Seahawks would take him because okay. of the, the, you know, inadequate run blocking. But I, I would again, be perfectly happy if they took him. You think he's off the board. He's off the Seahawks board. I don't know if he's off of the Seahawks board. I just think they probably don't value him as much as Trevor Penning and they can trade down and get Trevor Penning. Who, so who would you not want the Seahawks to take at nine? And Trevor Penning, 
Jermaine okay. Johnson Jr. You're anti Jermaine uh, Johnson. Yeah, his production is is not very good. Unclear that he fits in a three four scheme. Uh, is Ben Baldwin third pound brother Ben Baldwin is also pointed out older as a prospect. So these are all you know negative indicators, especially for taking someone at pick nine. Players that the Seahawks are going to draft. Uh, what about Willis? If Willis is there, I'm intrigued. Do you Again, think he will be there? I don't know. I mean, that's if I knew that, I would be doing our NFL mock drafts. Pelton cast NFL mock drafts. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I, I, this is, I'm, I am psychoanalyzing the Seattle Seahawks from the outside just for no reason other than the fact that I feel like. I mean, we're not psychoanalyzing. They, they like, Give long press conferences every year before and after the draft. And then no, they the, make picks during the draft. I, I'm, I'm making this up, though. I think the Seahawks have talked themselves into this draft in particular. I think that the Seahawks have not been participants at the top end of many drafts in the last decade. And I think that they have talked themselves into the value of the players in this draft more than most teams have. And most teams have been making picks in this territory. And I think the Seahawks, obviously, they understand what players look like or whatever. But, like... I think they've really talked themselves into this draft is an underrated draft and they might want to find a couple of players in this draft. You know, I think that the Ritter stuff and the smoke around Desmond Ritter, we talked about, you know, like getting into that late first round to get the extra season, whether it makes sense or not for a quarterback, whether the extra season actually matters or not, I could see the Seahawks being like if Desmond Ritter's out there at 32 and they could trade up for a relatively reasonable price. Maybe they trade down from the first pick. Maybe they trade up from the second pick and find themselves in the middle and get two players in the late teens and then the late 30s or the early 30s. I, I could really see the Seahawks doing that in this draft. And I think that it's, it's a draft that they've paid a lot more attention to than almost any other one. And it's going to be a lineman. And it's... I I... I wouldn't be shocked if it was a quarterback, but like that first pick is going to be an offensive or defensive lineman. Like I would love for it to be another position, but I just cannot see it that they would, that they would do that or they'd invest in any other position given everything we know about the Seahawks. Like they're not, there's so many good, there's one of these wide receivers is going to be an amazing wide receiver. And we're going to look back at it and be like, wow, how did Traylon Burks, Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, whoever not go in the top five, but there's a lot of them. And the Seahawks just, I, I don't think that's a thing that they're interested in right now. The corners. Well, if they're not planning to trade DK Metcalf, they probably shouldn't be interested in one of them that high. Well, I mean, you could have two good receivers. Three they already three. have two good receivers. I guess that's true. No, they have, a, they have, a, the, what the Seahawks do have is a pretty good receiving core. At but, some point, at some point, there are diminishing returns. I, and they, I mean, it's not just that, like, look, wide receivers are a super valuable position. Drafting them high is generally a good idea. The Seahawks have so fucking many glaring holes on their roster, they cannot afford to use one of their top three picks on a position that is a position of strength. Again, I, unless they plan on trading DJ that, like, I mean, you, I feel like you have to come range. around. I it's feel not like going to be a safety. It's not going to be a wide receiver. It's I, I would be surprised if it was a quarterback in the first pick, but that's kind of it. I wouldn't like, be shocked. If it was a quarterback with the first pick? I wouldn't be shocked. But I feel like they have to come away from the first two days of this draft with at least one tackle, at least one corner, an edge rusher, 
and and maybe a quarterback too. That's a lot of things to come away from. How many picks are there in the first two days? Three? They have four. Four picks in the first two days? Oh, because yeah. it goes second and third round. Okay. Correct. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. We're gonna, it's going to be all off-ball linebackers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think there's some point at which they maybe would be reasonable for them to draft an off-ball linebacker. As it turns out, uh, they actually are not that deep in off-ball linebackers at this point because they let two of the greatest in franchise history go in back-to-back years. I, I think you're right, though, that and where they're going to fall, I really think that that, that tackle, the tackle or the edge rusher is going to be first. We don't know who it's going to be for sure. But I just feel like that that's who's going to be first. They want to anchor the lines. That's what Pete Carroll wants to do, right? He wants to control the lines. It's like kind of the basis of the Pete Carroll football. And they have a chance to reset that position. Dwayne Brown is still a pretty uncertain piece right now. And I think part of the reason that he is, is because the Seahawks are waiting to see how this draft goes. So undoubtedly, I mean, they know other teams also may be waiting to see how the draft goes. I, I would be pretty surprised. And then at the same time, getting that elite level pass rusher is, you know, the most important thing on defense. And if, if the player is there, if it is, I think if it's a Thibodeau, I think they draft him, but it really just depends on who's sitting there. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, the, the players I'm expecting them to actually draft at nine are Penning or Johnson and then Jonathan Davis would be the third. What Which, is Jonathan Davis? He's the extremely athletic defensive tackle. Oh, God, the inside tackle, or the interior tackle. Which, I don't know if that would be the worst thing in the world, because he may be able to provide an interior, pa- interior pass rush. But uh, uh, did I say Jonathan Davis, Jordan Davis? Jonathan Davis. All day he dreams about sports. Uh, <laughs> uh you're saying that Jonathan Davis is a physical freak oh, on a leash. Oh no. <laughs> Did you watch the metal metal draft from Danny Kelly? Oh, it was like uh, Miss Fantasy Genius was like trying to talk to me about something and I was like, I'm busy. Uh, <laughs> the Chris Com- Chris Ryan's voice in the Com- metal draft. is not going to stop you from watching the metal draft. No, that, that was appointment viewing. Wow. And I mean, I there's some of these guys. Everything. Did you watch Barry? Can, can we move on? Did you watch Barry? I have not watched Barry yet. I was going to watch it if we hadn't recorded tonight. I really think prestige TV is bad. Wow, this is I a take. Know. It's just like I, I keep falling off these shows and I'm like, okay. I mean, I think it's hard for shows to take several years off. I I think that's a challenge. Like I, I probably, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about Atlanta at all. I mean, I've been listening to weekly podcasts and reading the recaps on the reader. So I've heard a lot about it. Has Atlanta. it gotten better though? It's gotten more progressively more Atlanta y okay. over time. There's something about like a show that was a successful pre COVID show and being a successful post COVID show where it's almost like there's a divide. Yeah. I mean, they also, it's not like their last series, the last season, you know, either these shows ran in, you know, like the summer of 2020 was already in pre-production yeah. when COVID shut things down. The last series season of Atlanta ran in 2018. The yeah. world was just a very different place on every level in 2018. They're both like Chinese democracy. I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, they, again, they were delayed 
for outside forces, not necessarily, you know, internal tinkering. Uh, it's been really tough for me. I'm, I'm even sort of like, like when I think about watching Winning Time, I'm like, like I hate when shows become, they feel like a chore, you know? I, I do know that, yes. And I feel like Winning Time kind of got there, even though I hate the Celtics. Like the Fuck Boston episode, I was just like, yeah. But I was kind of like, when they made the games up, that really to me was just like, why did you do this? How could you not have had drama, but not had it be historically accurate? I go and look and I'm like, wow, did the Lakers actually lose to whatever, the Pistons in this game? And it's like, nope, nope. 102-96 victory. I'm just like, why? Why did you do that? I, I feel the same way. And it's weird because I feel like, so you haven't seen apparently this most recent episode. I feel like the last two weeks have had two of my favorite scenes, period. Except they've been like really quiet, subtle scenes. And they, that definitely is not the kind of scenes that Winning Time wants to do. They're much more excited about, you know, inventing drama uh, on the coaching staff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something. Like, I like all the actors involved. And, and I love, I went to the wedding that I went, at, went to that I got COVID. I definitely was like, I'm going to... Uh, 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 channel Dr. Jerry, you know, with my look. I was <laughs> like, that's several buttons unbuttoned. Oh yeah, no, I'll show. I'll send you a picture. Yeah. It was it was a deep unbuttoning, and I was like, I need a change. You, some, you somehow caught COVID because of that. Uh, worth it. Worth it. I mean, what I don't understand is like, why do you even need to ground it in these characters anyway? Like, if you're just gonna make stuff up, just make up a team from the 1980s. You can even call, you could probably even still call it the Lakers, but just don't call, you know, the people Pat Riley and Paul Westhead if you're not gonna tell stories that are grounded in fact about Pat Riley and Paul Westhead. Are, do you think all all of these stories are basically made up at this point? They're not. All, all I really care about is that they're fake games. Where I'm just like, why can't you just have the real games that happened? No, yeah, I, I think that, like, look, obviously... You can make, I'm okay with the idea of making up drama in the front office. I'm not okay with making up the games. Like, there has to be something that grounds the show, and the actual record of the team right. is what should ground the show. I mean, Phil Simmons has been saying this on their recaps of it. It's like, like at this point, do we trust that they're even going to tell the playoff story correctly? Like, I, I don't know if they could make up games in the regular season. Why couldn't they make up games in the playoffs? But it's all of these things are like, again, there's the kernel of truth. So there's, you know, a certain thing that happens to Paul Westhead in the most recent episode that this actually happened. It just didn't happen during the time frame or in the way that it suggested it happened in the show. So, okay. I'll probably watch it later. Uh, that piece definitely took me out where it was just like, oh, okay. Again, I don't. I don't need it to be like exactly what it is. I think. I guess this is clearly what Simmons is complaining about. Yeah, it's like, look. Obviously, it's not a documentary. We don't know the exact dialogue that was spoken between Jerry West and Jerry Bess in the lead up to them drafting Magic Johnson number one in 1979. So you're going to have to invent that, but you don't have to invent the games because we have basketball reference. Yes. That that I think is the biggest piece. I just want it to be grounded in some capacity. Like the through line is always the like schedule and what they did. And every score should be the same as the score was. And all the other pieces you can make up. I don't give a fuck. Right. As long as the timeline is when Paul Westhead comes in and takes over for Jack McKinney, it needs to be the game that Paul Westhead took over for Jack McKinney. You know what I mean? Like the, you have to have the real timeline as the like centering piece. And then the drama can be all made up. I don't care. Like I'm not like offended on behalf of Jerry West or whatever. Yeah. 
I, I, I am a little bit, but also Take like it to the it's, Supreme Court. Well, we'll see if it gets there. Also, it's just like so over the top that at this point, I don't feel like how anyone could feel this is legitimate representation of any of the individuals involved. Except for the somehow the Spencer Haywood story still has not yet been as crazy as the actual real life Spencer Haywood story. We'll, I'm sure we're getting there, but still has not been. But you do watch it and you're like, some some people like magic you're like partially because the actor i don't think is famous otherwise you're like that dude is magic right right whereas like when i watch jason siegel as paul west and i'm like yeah that's jason siegel playing paul west or whatever right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know Adrian brody playing pat riley i'm like oh okay this is not pat riley but <clears throat> but the, like john c riley you watch him even though you have a history with john c riley it's like that's fucking dr jerry boss he has inhabited <clears throat> that role in an impressive way yes so for, for him, there's a couple of characters, him and Gabby Hoffman, where you're like, those, those characters, they are that person. But it's tough. I think maybe the hair is tough with Paul Westhead or whatever. Yeah, I don't and know. And Pat Riley. Well, I'm used to both of them with completely different hair, you know, when they were a little bit older. Like, they both were so slick. Yes, that is true. So, anyway, I'm, ha- I'm having a tough time with prestige television. That's a tough break for you. So anyway, anyway. the Seahawks should try <laughs> to trade down. Uh, Mike Sean had a piece on, on Tuesday that suggested that, you know, they might have a more difficult time trading down in this spot. And it'll be interesting to see no, what... No one wants that pick. It'll be interesting to see what sort of interest there is if there's, you know, some team that feels a desperate need to move up. Uh, and in that case, then again, I hope it's one of those, you know, top five players that I'm excited to see. It's still exactly. out there. The, the reason that a team would want to move up is because, I mean, Willis is obviously the question mark, right? Like, yes. Or you, I think you could want to move up if you were in love with one of the wide receivers because, you know, up through nine, there may not be any wide receivers. But, but I think after that, it's, it's possible that we start seeing a bit of a run on them. There's probably too many of them, though, for anybody to say, like, uh, that's not stopped teams in the past. I suppose so, that they just find their one. Or whatever. Uh, and there's just like a lot of there's a lot of players that we just talked about. Like if they Seahawks take them ninth, I'm not going to be very excited. If they take them 18th and add a couple mid round picks or you know especially picks in future years, then by all means do do what you want at that point. I would just love them to get like a proper package for a, a pick, and I feel like the Seahawks have never like really uh, ended up with like a great package for a pick. They always get like a be, fine package. I mean, the more teams know you want to trade down, the less they're going to offer inevitably. And especially if you've only got like one team that's interested in trading up and you can't create a bidding war. Like that's the downside of everyone knowing you want to move down is they're not going to feel as much urgency to overpay to do it. You think that's why they leaked to the press that they're trying to move up? I... I, they I can't to the press speak that to, they are trying to move up because they were, tr- were trying to move down. I can't speak to why the Seahawks do the things they do. There's I'm a lot to watch, of things. Excited to, to have a draft where the Seahawks are in the mix in the top 10, no matter what, you know, that every pick, if there is a player falling, that they really have the opportunity to go get them. It's not like, okay, you know, they could have traded up to go get a player who's falling. Like they're in kind of preposition of if somebody falls, if it's Thibodeau, if it's whomever, right? Uh, if it's a Klonwu, 
like there there are some options of if for whatever reason other teams fall in love with somebody or other and a player falls tonight the seahawks are in that position and i think it's a really exciting place to be so we will be back uh uh post draft on thursday night we will wait till the end of the first round just in case just in I mean, case we're gonna we're gonna wait till the end of the nba playoff games that night because as it turns out there are three nba playoff games going on that will need my really? attention yeah well <laughs> we'll wait till the after the nba playoff games after the first round uh and we'll have an emergency podcast on thursday night discussing whoever the cx draft unless they trade out of the first round completely I mean, we may have to discuss that as well. It would certainly, if they somehow trade from nine all the way out of the first round, it's going to be something worth discussing, suffice it to say. Uh, also, the biggest disappointment of you being on lockdown in your basement is that how will you wander the streets of LA? Oh, I can still wander the streets of Renton late night. I'm good. <laughs> can you? I've wandered the streets of Renton during COVID drafts before. You and me and Zach Whitman on the Jordan Brooks draft. That's true, but you didn't actually have COVID at that point. I mean, at 11 o'clock, you don't think I could walk around outside with COVID? You probably, you probably could. I, I think I would be fine. I could steer clear of anybody on the streets. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> wow. I was kind of trying to think back to the drafts that have happened. I was like, damn, this is the second like, post-COVID draft, right? Or the third. Sorry, the p- third post-COVID draft. Third COVID-era draft. I wouldn't say yeah, post Well, post-COVID being a thing, draft. Right. Like, there, there was 2020 when Roger Goodell was in his basement. And then last year they actually held a semi-normal draft. I mean, that, that 2021 was pretty strange. Yeah. So I was kind of thinking that was the one where I walked the streets of Renton, just like keeping wide swaths if anybody came anywhere near me. Wider yeah. swaths than I probably would even having COVID currently. Uh, just terrified of everybody around us. And I was like, well, I'm going to go for another walk because I've been on five walks today. This is all I do. This is it. So it is kind of interesting to think in sort of like these weird moments, you know, the the timeline moments that happen along the way. Uh, look back at them and how the world has changed. And, you know, I think we're probably going to have ultimately a relatively normal draft on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, definitely it's, you know, things the things are open now. And obviously COVID remains a factor. We saw Zach Levine going to health and safety protocols and he's going to miss uh, game five of that Bulls Bucks series. I'll be watching it from the basement, <laughs> locked down with COVID. And that will definitely, definitely not be the last NBA player lost for a postseason playoff game. We saw Paul George obviously during the play in tournament. And so, uh, you know, the, the draft won't be affected to that same degree, but we're, we're not in a post COVID world, even if we try to act like it. So, on that note, Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Thursday night. Thanks.